The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I am Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is from Seneca's letter 123, which is the same letter we started yesterday. Um, I continued reading from where I left off and thought this is worthwhile to talk about, but we're going to try something a little different, which is that uh, I guess it's because it's Rosh Chodesh, then Rosh Chodesh has been on my mind. And even though the letter itself doesn't directly address that topic, I'm going to attempt to combine them. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. Okay. And also, unlike what we usually do, I'm going to break this one into parts and read it in parts because I think they are distinct ideas and I'd rather do that than read it all at once. So he uh, last, just to refresh your memory, the last point he made was about how to turn bad bread into good bread. And how do you do that? You wait <laughs> until you get hungry. And then when you eat it and you're hungry, then it will taste better than it was before. Or by waiting, then you'll eventually come across good bread. One of those things will happen. Um, okay, so he says, I'm deriving immeasurable satisfaction from the way my tiredness is becoming reconciled to itself. I'm not asking for masseurs, I don't know how to say that, or a hot bath or any remedy except time. What was brought on by exertion, rest is taking away. And whatever kind of meal is on the way is going to beat an inaugural banquet for enjoyment. Okay, so that's his first point, which is that just like time will ultimately make the bread that's bad taste better because he's going to get hungrier, so too time will take away the pain uh, or the annoyance of the exertion from his trip. And that sounds kind of obvious. Like, yeah, obviously, if you rest up from a long trip, then, you know, if enough time passes, then you'll get better. But I think this is something that we tend to forget. Like, there are certain psychological states that if you um, if you just, like, either let time pass or you just ride it out, then it goes away on its own. And sometimes that knowledge can actually help you. Um, I don't think it's a secret that part of what makes psychological pain so great is that you feel like it's forever. You know, you feel like this state is going to last forever. Uh, that's, you know, the famous story of unknown origin of the uh, the king who commissioned, you know, who, who awarded a prize for giving, um, for making, uh, what was it, an object that can make you happy when you're sad or sad when you're happy. I mean, there's different versions of the story. Uh, and then the the jeweler made the ring that said, uh, Gamzo Ya'avor, this too, will, this too shall pass. Um, and... Uh, so obviously, if you're happy, then you know the thing is not going to last forever, and that makes you sad. But then if you're sad, then unless it's some sort of like clinical depression, then time will make it feel better. So same thing with uh, uh, so the, the the point of that story is that part of the pain and part of the joy is the fact that it, the 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 imagination based um, uh, feeling that it's going to last forever, and it's not. And sometimes just by reminding yourself of that and saying, okay, I'm just going to ride it out, or I'm just going to like take the rest of the day off and recoup or, or whatever, um, that's enough to get you through it. And the, and the knowledge that that's enough to get you through it actually helps you to get through it. So I thought that was a point worthy of mentioning. Okay. Then he says, um, I have in fact put my spirit to a sort of test and a surprise one too, such a test being a good deal, more candid and revealing when the spirit has prepared itself beforehand has called on itself in advance to show endurance. It is not so clear just how much real strength it possesses. The surest indications are the ones it gives on the spur of the moment, when it views annoyances in a manner not merely unruffled but serene, when it refrains from flying into a fit of temper or picking a quarrel with someone, when it sees to everything it requires by refraining from hankering after this and that, reflecting that one of its habits may miss a thing, but its own real self need never do so. 
So that last part kind of segues into the topic later on in the letter. So I'm not going to really touch the very end uh, until, I guess, uh, tomorrow. Uh, that's the plan. Um, but in the other part, he differentiates between two types of tests, uh, two ways to test yourself. One is by preparing yourself ahead of time, you know, and, and sort of like mentally preparing yourself and then seeing how you pass that test. And uh, he says that that doesn't work as well because it's not truly a test. Like the, the reality is, is that you prepared yourself ahead of time. The real test is when you're caught off guard and something that should have annoyed you or annoyed you in the past doesn't annoy you or something that should have angered you doesn't anger you. And that's when you really know that there has been an internal change. So um, this is something that I've experienced a lot with Michelet, with stoicism, with learning in general, uh, and something that I struggled with very early on in yeshiva and continue to struggle with in some areas, but it was really very early on in yeshiva. Um, I am a recovering perfectionist. Uh, I was uh, you know, very hard on myself in high school and in early yeshiva years and held myself to very high standards. And especially when I was coming from you know, since I, I converted to Judaism in 11th grade and started my Jewish education virtually from scratch, uh, then I was always comparing myself to my peers and feeling discouraged about not making progress. And that continued, that was certainly true in high school and continued into, into yeshiva. And um, I remember the, I don't know at what point this was told to me, but I remember asking my Mishle Rebbe, Rebbe Moskowitz about it. And he gave me the the great advice uh, by summarizing Rebbe Akiva, the story with Rebbe Akiva and the water on the rock, which, you know, those who know Rabbi Moskowitz know that he doesn't remember the stories exactly as they're told in the Gemara. So I'm going to tell you the story he told me. He said that, you know, Rabbi Kiva started learning very late in life and uh, <clears throat> and he was struggling and, uh, and, and discouraged about his progress. And then he walked by and saw a um, water dripping on a rock and uh, and it made an indentation, uh, obviously, after a very long time. And he said, you know, if uh, if if water can make an indentation, uh, indentation on this hard rock, then the Torah can have an effect on me. And then he, uh, that cheered him up and he went back on his, uh, with his learning. And Rabbi Moskowitz um, explained, uh, or he quoted, I think he, he might've been quoting Rabbi Chait. I'm not sure. He said, you know, in reality, what, you know, what, what exact, how did the indentation get made? Was it a sudden jet of water that like suddenly indented the rock? Obviously not. It was the, the minuscule, an imperceptible impact of each and every drop over a long period of time that made the change. So what really, you know, what really changed? It's that if you saw that rock, you know, a long time ago, you wouldn't see any indentation. And if you kept watching it, you would not see the indentation being made. But if you went away and then you came back, the the fact that you have a change in perspective is really what, um, the fact, sorry, the fact that you give it a, a long amount of time without checking on it and then you check back on it, that's when you see the perspective change. You know, that's when you really perceive that there's been something going on, that this change has been going on the entire time and you just didn't notice it. Um, so, <clears throat> so the question is like, how, how do you implement that? So Seneca is giving one answer, which is that, um, that you'll just see it. You know, you just don't worry about like, uh, you know, trying to set up these tests for yourself. Just go about your life and the chachma, you know, the, the learning, the ideas will change you. And suddenly without knowing it, someone will, you know, cut you off in traffic and you won't get upset about it, you know, or someone will insult you and you will not feel insulted. And th that's when you'll see that, you know, you've been making progress, even though you didn't see the progress being made. However, <laughs> I was such a perfectionist that that didn't cut it for me. I felt like I needed to check on my progress. So I came up with this idea not connected to anything um specific, uh, which was I would check on my progress um, every, 
I, at one point I did it every Rosh Chodesh. Another point I did it every fast day, every Tainus. Um, and the Rosh Chodesh thing, you know, I would, I would tell myself, okay, I'm not going to think about my progress. You know, and when thoughts about my progress enter my mind, I'm going to avoid investing energy in it. And I'll tell myself, okay, I'll think about it on Rosh Chodesh, you know, or I'll think about it on the fast day. And it actually worked. I think because if I told myself I'm not going to check out my progress at all, that's just an uphill battle. And, uh, and of course my psyche is going to break through, but I said, no, you'll check on it and you'll check on it in a month. And, you know, on this exact day at this exact time, that was enough to, to, you know, enough satisfaction to my psyche to say, okay, I can wait, you know? So what does this have to do with, uh, with, so was this just an accident that I said Rosh Chodesh? Well, at the time it was, but if you'll remember those who listened to the episode right before Pesach, I went over an idea from the Sporno and, um, the Sporno was basically saying that the idea of Rosh Chodesh, let me see if I could read it again. So the Pesach says, HaChodesh Lachem, Rosh Chodeshim, uh, this month is for you, the, the beginning of months. Rishon Hu Lachem the first for you of the months of the year. And Sforno says, I'm just going to read this in English. Oh, I'll read in Hebrew, it's better in Hebrew. He says, This uh, month is for you, the first of the months. Remember, this is Moshe talking to Bnei Israel in, uh, in Egypt. From here and on, the months will be yours. To do with them what you will. But during the days of servitude, your days did not belong to you. But uh, they belonged to the service of others and to their their desire, their will. Therefore, this will be the first for you of the months of the year. Um, because on it, on this month, this first month of Nisan, the month that they left Mitzrayim, that will be the beginning of your existence, your free existence. So I, I really was enamored by that idea uh, ever since I read it, and I've been thinking about it through all of Pesach, and I really do think that Rosh Chodesh can serve as a as a monthly reminder that we have this freedom and we have time. You know, We don't know how much time we have. We've been given time. Um, and, uh, you know, and the markers of time are the days and the, the weeks and the months. And we've talked about the idea, uh, from Tehillim 90 of, uh, limnos yimeno ken hodav navi lavav chachma, you know, teach us how to count our days and, and bring us a heart of wisdom, uh, or it'll, it'll instill within us a heart of wisdom. So being aware that the time is what belongs to us. And that's really all we have. You know, we're, we're, we're temporal creatures. We work in time and, uh, kind of using Rosh Chodesh as, uh, as a like a time to step back and look at your progress, you know what what has changed over this the course of this month, and uh, where are you right now, and where are you headed? And you know, I, maybe the true chacham would not do that. The true stoic would not do that. Uh, would not be concerned about progress. But again, you know, tafastim rulo tafasta. If you try to to if you try to be too perfect or to uh, you know to short circuit your your psyche and your tendencies. Uh, it's just not going to work, right? So, so if you're like me when I was in yeshiva and still now, that you do need to check on your progress, and you can't just tell yourself, you know, wait for these spontaneous moments to come, like Seneca advises, or just, you know, uh, you know, don't check your progress. If that's not going to work for you, then Rosh Chodesh is a good time for contemplation. And uh, I'm sure there are many chazals that that uh, support this. You know, the idea of Rosh Chodesh being attached to kapara, you know, for atonement. Um, or the waxing and waning of the moon and phases, such and such. But uh, these are the thoughts that were on my mind at this moment. Um, I even actually saw a commentary from Rav Hirsch on Ya'ale Viyavo, 
Um, and I, I tried with my Lomdeha Talmidot to work out uh, an idea for that, uh, but I feel like it's not quite ready to present yet. So maybe maybe that'll be something I'll work on for next Rosh Chodesh. Anyway, that was a, I hope that worked. That was a, a little bit of a hodgepodge of Seneca and uh, some Rosh Chodesh musings and, and personal anecdotes uh, that helped me that I thought might help other people. So that's it for today's episode. If you have gained from what you've learned here today, I have to read my outro. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, and would like to support my production of even more Torah content, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Link is in the description. And I'll also link you to the episode I referenced uh, from before Pesach, in case you're discovering this later on. Thank you to my listeners for listening, and thank you to my patrons for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.